Today we'll be in Acts chapter 16. And as you are, as you are turning there, I'll give you just a little bit of background. It appears that this is the first time that, that Timothy joins Paul as we get a description of Timothy for the first time. And because Paul circumcises Timothy, we get the idea that this is indeed his first mission trip. And as Paul purposes to travel east to Bithynia, the Holy Spirit uh, did not allow him to go that direction. So they traveled toward Troas, and this is where Paul receives the vision at night of a man calling them to Macedonia. And so let's begin reading Acts Chapter 16, verses 9 through 34, is, there's uh, several verses here, but just uh, as I was before you last time, and I, I mentioned that when we are in the presence of the American flag and we have the opportunity to say the pledge, we stand, and when we, we meet somebody, it's generally customary and the nice thing to do to, to stand as we shake someone's hand. So as we read God's word this morning, would you please stand with me and we will read Acts 16, 9 through 34. And a vision appeared to Paul in, in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothras, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the, the foremost or the first city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. Other translations call her a God-fearing woman. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. <clears throat> and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she constrained us. Others would say she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination or project, projecting the, uh, the future, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, or distressed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. 
And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. And then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night washed their stripes and immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us to be in your presence today. And God, I pray Lord that you would move me aside Lord, that the words of my mouth Lord, would be the words from your throne, from your very heart, Lord, for us this day, that we will hear, that we will heed, that we will obey. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. On Thursday, February 4th, on Tuesday, February 4th, let's get the, the days right, 2014, that's just a couple of weeks away, an important, possibly historic debate will take place, and I believe there's a, there's a screen up there, if, if, you will, if you will put that up. There will be a historic debate taking place between evolutionist Bill Nye and creationist Ken Ham. If you were raising children in the 90s, or maybe you were a child in the 90s, maybe you watched Bill Nye, the science guy on PBS. Anybody? Anybody remember Bill Nye, the science guy on PBS? Entertaining and, and very educational. He is an outspoken evolutionist denouncing that evolution or denouncing the validity of creation. And Ken Ham is the the president of Answers in Genesis, and he has uh, risen to prominence in recent years through the creation of the Creation Museum, as he is the head of the Creation Museum, and which is near Cincinnati, uh, which has grown in popularity with Christians all across the country. This debate, which was initiated by Ken Ham, 
he reached out to Bill Nye, will take place at the Creation Museum near Cincinnati. And the 900 tickets that went on sale for this debate sold out in two minutes. There are lots of people that want to know what's going on here. And I have just come to find out over the last couple of days that this debate will now be streamed live over the internet um, at that time. 7 p.m., I do believe that may be Eastern time, so we'll have to make sure we, we get the, 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 the right time. But Tuesday, February 4th, 2014, at the Creation Museum. Um, and if you want, and I, I had the, the website, it's got debate in it, but I can't remember what the exact website is. But I'm sure if you went to Answers in Genesis website that you would find that information of when this debate is going to, uh, to be. Um, Bill Nye will do his best to convince Ken Ham and us that creation is foolishness. And Ken Ham, using scripture as well as scientific and historic facts, will show that God Almighty indeed spoke all of creation into being. What an awesome opportunity that not only that, that we have, but I believe that, that Ken Ham has be, before him. And I, I, don't, I don't know Ken. I've never met Ken. I've uh, had very little exposure to him. But from what I have uh, heard from folks and what I've heard about his reputation, that he is very uh, educated in, in historical and scientific uh, manners and also uh, uh, spiritual matters. And so what an opportunity that Ken has uh, before him to present the truth of the gospel to Bill Nye. And wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be an awesome thing to witness if the Holy Spirit enlightened Bill Nye in the middle of that debate that he would see for the very first time in his life that indeed God Almighty is the creator of all things and to see the truth of the gospel and know the truth. We, as God's people, we need to pray. We need to pray for Ken Ham. We need to pray for Bill Nye. So make that a point of prayer in your life over the next over the next couple of weeks, and uh, hopefully you'll get to, uh, to tune in to this debate that I am calling the Engagement at Creation Museum. And this could have three, in, in my view, this could have three potential outcomes. Number one, nobody wins. You know how debates go. Nobody wins. Each side of the issue fails to convince the other, and most, most people leave unchanged. Another possibility is that Bill Nye wins. Bill Nye is more convincing that evolution is the origin of all things and the liberal media has a heyday mocking creationists. And the third possible outcome or potential outcome is that Ken Ham wins. Scripture, history, and science prevail with Ken Ham showing the great, with great effectiveness that all things were spoken into existence by God Almighty. And the liberal media still finds a way to mock creationists. 
So is there a lesson? You can go back to the original screen if you'd like. Is there a lesson for us in this message? I believe there is. I believe there's a great message for us. And this is part of it, is that Ken Ham has reached out. The Christian has reached out. The man of God has reached out to engage an unbeliever to discuss the things of God on his level. I would not want to be a part of that debate. There are things that I do not understand. I can, by faith, I can say, okay, I grasp that in in faith, but I would not be one that would want to stand with an expert and to give a reason why I believe by faith the things of God in in that manner. So I say thank you to Ken Ham for not being intimidated, for not being intimidated or being afraid of facing the unbelieving mindset. And today our text shows Paul in his element, engaging three very different people with very different backgrounds, different life circumstances, engaging each one of them with the gospel and each one responding with life-changing effect. And today that's why we call this the engagement at Philippi. And I think we'll come to see as well that these very different people, no doubt, came to be core people of the Philippian church. So let's look at these three encounters of Paul's engagements. Uh, The first with, with Lydia and also with the demon-possessed slave girl and also the jailer. So what does scripture tell us about Lydia? Well, we see on the Sabbath that Paul and his posse went just outside the city limits to a prayer gathering by the river. I wonder if they had a van down by the river. Well, I don't know if they did that or not, but uh, that's the picture I got, I'm sorry. We don't know how many groups had gathered there for for prayer, but there was a a ladies group that had come together, and we we read that Paul engages the women that had, had gathered. And verse 14 says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. And so we see two things about Lydia. Number one, Lydia is a seller of purple goods. And that is significant in those times because purple signified uh, royalty. And so, uh, so a seller of purple could be a person of means. So this could be a very significant person that, that Paul had engaged here. Uh, you might call her uh, the fashionista of Thyatira. She could be uh, Kim Kardashian of Thyatira. She could be one who uh, dealt with, uh, with the, the fashion trends of, of, that, of that day. So we also see that she is a God-fearing woman, or a worshiper of God. And by the very next statement, we see that she has not yet surrendered her life to Christ, to the Lordship of Jesus, because the Holy Spirit had not yet enlightened her, that she would, that she would see Jesus as Messiah. But then next we see what the Lord does. Scripture says that the Lord opens her heart 
to respond to what was being said by Paul. She was immediately baptized. They were by a river. So they, she was immediately baptized and she convinced them or persuaded them to stay with her in her home. Now, Paul was not alone. Uh, Timothy was, was with him. Silas was with him. And, and uh, we, don't, we don't know how many others. Uh, I'm guessing Luke was with them as well. And, and there, there may have been numerous people that were actually in this group traveling with Paul. So the fact that Lydia asked them to stay in her home also tells me she may be a person of means because it sounds like she had a pretty good sized home. And so we see here that, that Lydia, a very good chance that she has influence and that she has significant means. Paul engages Lydia with the gospel through her intellect. We see the, the, uh, the ability of Paul to relate to people on so many different levels. And here he engages Lydia through her intellect. We never know who is listening in on our conversations. Listen, listen, listen to this. It's, and really almost these days, nobody is, is immune to this, but especially um, teenagers, college students, and those, those up those, that have Facebook accounts. We never know who's listening in on our conversations, just as Lydia was listening in on the conversation that Paul was having with some of the women. She heard and she inquired, what sorts of things are we posting on Facebook, I, or what, I'm amazed at what some of my friends put on Facebook. I thought these people were saved. <laughs> I tell you, it's, it's amazing. We need to be careful about what we, what we, what we post. And, you know, if, and if you have to think about whether you post this or not, well, we have a problem anyway. Even if you're not posting it, if you're thinking about it and it was an option, then I, uh, we need to pray. Let's be engaging. Let's be about engaging our culture with the gospel. Let's be about engaging people with speech that draws somebody in to hear about salvation and life in Christ. Let's be about people of, of truth and encouragement because so often we do not know who's listening. Next, we see Paul and, and company, as they were going on their way, they were confronted by a slave girl who had a demonic spirit of divination or, or predicting the future. And as the as the demonic spirit annoyingly mocked Paul for many days, it says, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, I don't believe, I don't believe that she was saying this in a, in a way that was convicting. I don't believe she was saying this in a way that was supporting what they were doing. I believe that they were mocking. I believe that she was mocking them. These men are showing you the way to salvation. These men, they're showing you the way to salvation. For days and days on and on, Scripture says. It was not that she was helping their cause. 
Today, we, and it doesn't happen as, as often as it should, we are not mocked in our relationship with Jesus because we don't want to step on people's toes. We don't want to do something that might sound offensive or bring conviction into somebody's life. But if we are living our life as unto Jesus, if we are doing what scripture says, and if we are out and we are making disciples, each and every one of us, like Paul, we would get mocked in what we do and in what we say. But here we see Paul becoming greatly annoyed by the mocking of this demon-possessed slave girl. And finally, he had had enough, and he turns and shouts to the demonic spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. Paul engages the slave girl who was belligerent and disruptive for many, many days. He engages her with the authority and the power of God. The demonic spirit leaves the girl, and she, she becomes normal responding to the word of God that was, that was presented to her with authority and power. Two very different people that we have witnessed so far. Lydia, very formal, controlled, uh, control orderly manner through intellect and the slave girl through power and authority due to out of control, disruptive, evil spirit. Now we read in this story that since she no longer has the spirit of divination that her owners become, well, they become upset because they are no longer able to have their income. They're no longer able to make money. So what they do, they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers to be accused. And of course, like every other instance like this, the crowd joins in, probably not really even knowing what they're doing, what they're there for, but the crowds join in in attacking them, and the rulers gave orders to have them beaten with rods. And after they were beaten, they were thrown into jail and secured in the inner prison and watched closely. The Bible says that their feet were fastened in the stocks. Now, these stocks from first century Roman Empire were not the stocks that you and I might have in our mind from uh, English times in 1700s where somebody would be put in the town square to be put on public ridicule with their hands and head through the stocks and there was no real pain involved, just humiliation. But these first century Roman Empire stocks were devious contraptions that would contort prisoner's body into ways that would bring body cramps. You ever get those cramps in your calf or that one under your rib cage and you're, and you're like trying to get rid of those cramps because it, it starts hurting and if you, if you don't do anything, if you leave it there, it just it becomes a, a ball and it c continues to to tighten and to hurt. Am I the only one that experiences that? Okay, all right. Like, it's like, what are you, a weirdo up there with all these? It's very dis discomforting. Well, we don't know to what extent Paul and Silas were treated in jail, but the jailers were trained to make 
prisoners' lives as miserable as possible. And the story goes that around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, Paul, I love, I love Paul. He is, what an example of, of just, of, of commitment, of sacrifice, of knowledge, of, you know, I'm just, in, I'm just so enthralled with the life of Paul. And how many times in scripture do we, do we read, do we see that he was beaten within an inch of his life, left for dead? He'd get back up and he'd go back in and he'd just start doing the same thing again. For Paul said, hey, for me, death, death is gain. You can do anything you want to me. For me to die means to be with Christ, so do what you will. If I leave this earth, I'm with Jesus. Doesn't matter. If I live, better for you. It's beneficial that I stay. I have great responsibility here. It's a great privilege to live and to suffer for Christ. So if I live, it's for your benefit that I live. They throw him in prison, thinking that, well, they torture him enough, he'll, he'll, he'll break. They throw him into the inner prison, with, you know, no, not fully understanding exactly what they do to him. Yet, he turns to Silas and says, you know that new Bill Gaither tune? Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Cell block three, come on. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is Somebody's flat over there. You know I don't like it when you're flat. Come on. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the king of kings. Throw him in jail. You throw him in jail, and he's going to sing, and he's going to pray. In the midst of their praying and their singing, the earthquake strikes, shaking the foundation, opening all the doors of the prison, and unfastening everyone's bonds. And thinking that all the prisoners were escaping, the jailer, knowing his fate, that if everyone does escape under his watch, he draws out his sword and prepares to kill himself. But Paul, full of integrity and godly character, he calls out, wait, do not harm yourself. We are all here. And when the rough tough jailer saw the integrity and the sincerity of Paul and Silas. He said to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says to the jailer, the same thing that I say to you this morning here at Orchardville. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The jailer took them to his house. He washed their wounds. He and his family were baptized and they, too, would most likely be a part, a vital part of the Philippian church along with Lydia and the slave girl. Paul engaged the jailer through a godly example and a living witness. 
What is, what's your engagement story? Do you have one? Maybe your engagement story is called the engagement at Walmart. Maybe your engagement story could be the engagement at Continental Tire or the engagement at North American Lighting or the engagement at Pizza Hut or the engagement at a a grade school or high school basketball game. What is your engagement called? Maybe it's the engagement at McDonald's or maybe with family it's the engagement at Thanksgiving dinner. What do your opportunities for engagement look like? Who is, who's the Lydia in your life? Because someone is listening to every word you say. Maybe it's a a classmate sitting next to you knowing that you claim to be a Christian Are they hearing that out of your mouth? Maybe it's your, maybe you're a parent, maybe it's your child, maybe they're, I know that they're listening to every word out of your mouth. What kind of example are you being, are we being to our children? Who is the slave girl in your life? Is there somebody mocking your relationship with Jesus Christ? How can you use the authority of God's word to win someone to Christ. That's, that's an area where we have to be very, very careful that we do not misuse God's word, that we do not misuse the authority of God's word when it comes to confronting someone or something. Be very, very careful. And I believe even when Jesus told the disciples when they were out praying for people and they came back and said, well, this one we couldn't, we couldn't take care of. And Jesus said, this one only comes out through prayer and fasting. So if you are faced with something of a spiritual, deeper spiritual nature where you know it's more than simply walking away or saying the right thing, maybe it's, it's gonna take some counsel. It's gonna take some fasting. It's gonna take some time and prayer to figure out how to deal with this confrontation in your life but God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is enough. Who is the jailer in your life? Because someone is watching you. Somebody is watching you to see if what you say is or lines up with what you do. That's what the jailer saw in Paul. having the opportunity to escape, knowing that there was an opportunity for for ministry to engage somebody with the gospel. Paul could have fled with the rest of the prisoners and been free, yet they knew the opportunity that God had before them to, to engage this jailer to win someone to Christ. That's all it was about for Paul, to win someone for Christ. Are we about that? Are we about just winning someone for Christ? Do we have a love in our lives for the lost? Enough to do whatever it takes to win them? I believe it was Pastor Mark that said over 90% 
Would you say over 90% or roughly 90% of those that consider themselves followers of Jesus do not share their faith? That should be eye-opening for us. And you know, here I've been, I've been at Orchardville now for almost five months. And almost every experience that I have here at Orchardville in comparison to other churches that I have been at, visited, known about, almost without exception, Orchardville is the exception. And I just want to say that. Amen? I see God at work corporately in this body of believers, Fairfield, Main Branch, Centralia. God is working. And I heard amazing things that happened at Centralia Branch last week. That the Spirit of God just broke open and fell in Centralia. It's awesome to hear that. God is at work and he is moving in the lives of the people here. So I see I see the word at work. I see the Holy Spirit working in and through the people of this church. And so often I can talk about what's going on in so many churches across the country. And I always have to say, well, Orchardville's the exception. <laughs> because there are so many problems, so many issues in churches all across this country because we are re- we're putting programs in place that replace personal evangelism. When Jesus did not give the, the command to go and make disciples to a building that's filled with people, he gave the great command to go and make disciples to you and to you and to you and to me. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. He told that to people. He told that to individuals. And we have got to pick that up, and we have got to make that our mission. Simply because we don't want people to go to hell. We want to love the lost enough that they're getting saved, and what they're hearing come out of our mouth is the message of salvation. And I can't get that out of my mind. I can't shake that. I fail as much as you do. But I want that mandate, I want that command to be right here where I see it all the time. Am I taking every advantage that I have to to make disciples of somebody? What does it take to make a disciple of somebody? That means engaging the lost. Do you have any friends in your life that are not saved? Have we surrounded ourselves with with people that are just exactly like us so that we can't relate to them? Are we just full of Christianese where if we spoke to a non-Christian, they'd say, what do you mean? The stuff we say in church all the time, we take for granted that everybody knows about. But have 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 we engaged our culture? Wherever your culture is, have you engaged it? That is a word that you will hear me say till the day I die. Engage. I want to be engaging people with the gospel of Jesus wherever I go. Why? So so they can come to my church and so my church will be bigger? You know what? That's a mentality. That's a mentality everywhere. We want our church to be bigger. So let's get people saved so our church can be bigger. Why not reach out and save the lost? 
simply because Jesus told us to do so, and that's where our burden is. To see the lost get saved, Jesus said, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. We should take that to heart everywhere we go, that we would be engaging people on their level, in their culture, getting to know people. We must engage our culture, we must engage our family with the gospel. And this is not something new for us to hear. What does, what's Pastor Mark tell to us? What's he say to us every, every week before, before we're dismissed? Share your faith with somebody this week. Go out of here and share your faith with somebody this week. It's the same thing. It's a message that Orchardville Church has heard for years and years. How will they know about Jesus unless we tell them? How will they know that they need salvation unless we present the gospel to them? It's not up to a program. It's up to you. It's up to me. Today, at this moment, this is called the engagement at Orchardville. The Holy Spirit is drawing you to come and to be set free from your bondage. Your bondage of sin. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you and that's me. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he is faithful to forgive us of our, of our sins if we confess that we have failed, if we confess that we are a sinner and that we desperately need him. Come today and be set free. You're here today. You're here in this place at this time. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the one who sent me draws him. You are here in this place at this time. That in your life, as you have dealt with your past, with your present, and what might be in the future, the stress, the pain, the depression, the discouragement that it brings you. You can deal with that today. Jesus never once said that get saved and all that will go away. But what the Holy Spirit brings to us is the peace that passes all understanding. Those of you that have experienced the peace of God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's priceless. It's not tangible, but it's priceless. I wouldn't trade the, the peace of God for, for anything. In the midst of trial, in the midst of job change, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of loss of a loved one, in the midst of, of whatever you can think of, the peace of God sustains me.
So the invitation to you today is to come to Jesus. At this time and this place, we are here. The Holy Spirit drawing you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this this moment, this opportunity to be in your presence. We pray that you would have your way in our midst, Lord, that we will understand, maybe see for the very first time that we need to be saved. We need a savior. We need to be delivered. We need to pick up the cross of Jesus. We need to follow, leaving everything behind. We need to pick up and own the mandate to go and make disciples wherever we are. Lord, have your way during this time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Come to Jesus. I will meet you down here and pray with you. If you have a different, a different need, a physical need, an emotional need, once you come, there will be people here to meet you. Uh, Pastor Mark, I would, if you would, if you would come, and if you would just stand here, uh, we want to pray for Mark. Those of you that would that would come and lay hands on Pastor Mark, pray for his uh, his healing. Would you do that? Let's come. Jesus, believing and knowing that the scripture says that without faith it is impossible to please God. And so in faith we come before you 
to lift our pastor up to you, proclaiming his healing and restoration in the name of Jesus, that the name of Jesus would be glorified. It's not to the glory of any man. It's not to the glory of any church. Bible says, let your good deeds be done before men so that they will see the glory of God. And Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus for our pastor that he will continue to be healed for the glory of your name alone. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.